Welcome to the Communicating Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colm Harney, a dentist with a special interest in all aspects of communication in healthcare. Each episode, I'll be having a conversation with inspirational practitioners to discover how they communicate effectively, creating exceptional relationships with their patients and fulfilling, rewarding careers. For clinicians who care, let's find out how the experts do it. My first guest on the podcast is Dr. Harry Ball. Harry is a world-leading practitioner in dental sleep medicine and runs the Sleepwise Clinic in Melbourne, Australia, where the team has treated over 7,000 patients with oral appliance therapy. Harry has presented training programs for dentists throughout Australia, as well as in England, Holland, Belgium, Germany, Singapore and Malaysia. He is the current co-chairperson of the Dental Sleep Medicine Division of the Australasian Sleep Association. I got to catch up with Harry at the Australian Dental Congress as we were both presenting. I hope you enjoy this broad-ranging conversation as much as I did, where we cover communication, leadership, the importance of personal development and teamwork, and much, much more. Harry, would you mind starting the conversation today with a, an origin story about your background yeah. before you've got to where you are now? Where did you graduate and what did you do in, in dentistry from then? So I graduated Melbourne University okay. in about 1973, did general dentistry for about a year in a practice working for an employer. And as we all did at the time, soon after went to the UK and worked there and travelled around, came back and pretty soon... After that, in 75, I, I joined a associateship and started into general practice and did that for a number of years. Wound up building up a practice where we employed two hygienists and two dentists. My wife was a dentist at the time as well, so yeah. we did general dentistry and did that up to 1995 when I sold my practice but I think before that I was starting to get a little bit disillusioned with dentistry I sort of felt that when was it probably around the mid 80s I, I I was kind of successful I was I was achieving everything I wanted to achieve yeah. but you know I my wife was telling me I was quite stressed mm-hmm. I sort of thought it was normal to be like that <laughs> yes. just to be yeah. stressed and and I wound up having to kind of look at that and I wound up doing a personal development program in Melbourne around that time in 1985 and that sort of really opened my eyes to kind of self-examination to actually look at myself like why was I doing what I was doing and and why was I stressed and yeah. I, um, I think one of the things I saw at the time was that I was sort of focusing on the business side of things and making money in that and I wasn't really developing my clinical skills and so that sort of really hit me that I really needed to do that to maybe get more satisfaction out of dentistry. Right. Was was there a sense of boredom or are you done everything that could be done with yeah. in, in general practice? Yeah, I think boredom, just doing the same thing over and over, not growing at all. Yeah. And without kind of realising it and also at some level feeling that I wasn't reaching my potential as a dentist as well, not, yes. not really contributing, although I think a lot of that was unconscious and just showing up as stress, basically. Okay. Yeah. Which is a very common story. I don't know if you listen to dentist podcasts or read. Yeah. I listen to quite a few now at the moment, and yeah. it's, it's quite a common theme. Yeah. Successful yeah. dentists sort of reaching a 
peak and then seeming to plateau out and then realize maybe maybe there's something more before you reach that burnout or, or as my brother-in-law called it rust out which i think is a much better way of describing yeah. it it's a, it's a sort of a slow corrosion of enjoyment of dental practice so what did you do then after that harry so I did a number of things which really changed the way I practiced dentistry. I, I went to the States and did two programs at the Pankey Institute. Yeah. Have you heard of that? Yes, place? I have. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's um, like an amazing institute and it's based on sort of excellence in every single area of dentistry, including communication skills as yeah. well. From the examination to the record taking to the way you present treatment to the treatment that you do. So that was a real kind of eye-opener and I came back from there really inspired within dentistry and I immediately gave up doing endo, treating children, doing perio, doing extractions. I just wanted to focus on restorative dentistry and sort of do that well. So I think the staff didn't know what hit me when I got back to having, and that was a challenge to communicate to them. Change is often a real challenge when you come back like that. And so... I then I did quite a few courses. I did the long course in prosthodontics at Melbourne University, treating okay. patients with prosthodontists, and I just learned so much on crown preps and impression taking, and it's, it's just hands on with patients with prosthodontists, so looking on, and quite a few of the that was about two days a week with patients, and okay. there was probably about seven or eight of us, and three went on to become prosthodontists, but I just went back to my practice, and so. I was enjoying dentistry a lot more, but at the same time, uh, the personal development course I did got me more interested in psychology and counselling and and, uh, Eastern philosophy and that kind of thing, so that sort of took me off on a side tangent. I really enjoyed that aspect and, you know, I wound up doing a master's degree in counselling, psychology, stress management. And I was, it took me quite a while to get to a point where I realised I just didn't think dentistry was quite right for me. You know, I think I did it for the wrong reasons, which, uh, you know, that's, that's, I think, another reason dentists are very stressed, you know. Yes, I would agree with yeah. you. I think, uh, well, part of the problem is, I suppose, making a decision to go down a very narrow pathway at a very young age and you don't really know the path that, you, that you're going down. Oh, very much so, yeah. No, my parents were Holocaust survivors, sort of refugees, and it was like... Really, it's important for them that I had to do. I had a, I had a big choice. It was either medicine, dentistry, yeah. or <laughs> pharmacy. Law, yeah. Law, yeah. No, no, it had to be science. That was okay. like the real thing, okay. you know. Yeah. yeah. And so, I just did dentistry because the hours, the money, things like that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's not a reason to do it. You know, and well, I, I think most people do dentistry as well because they want to help people. Yeah. Too. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that, that's nice if if that's a reason, but but I think it's even more than that. I think. You, you really have to want to work with your hands and build yeah. things and yeah. have at least a bit of a track record for that rather than just do it for these, these other reasons. Yes, I And agree. if you don't enjoy it, I think there are other professions where maybe you can, I don't know, as a public servant or you can hide a bit or whatever, but in dentistry, if you, you're just, you've got to do those restaurants. When the patient yeah. comes in, there's work to do and you, you have to enjoy doing that kind of thing. Yeah, and, uh, so you're, you're <coughs> always accountable in dentistry. There is, there is no hiding, I think, and that's that's part of the stress as a yeah. way to go into a back office well that's right and you know I was having like patients might book in for an hour and they'd come in and we'd start chatting about things and they'd tell me their problems in their life and whatever yes. and I found that really interesting because yeah. I was I was studying counseling yeah. Yeah. before I knew it you know 45 minutes had gone by and I hadn't even 
started the yeah. work yet and you know I, I just saw that uh, I was more interested in other areas I, I felt I got the most out of myself in as a general dentist and so I sort of made the move then of selling my practice you know which I did and then I actually moved into the counseling area and okay. I was working into psychiatric hospitals doing outpatient programs for people with anxiety and depression. I was more interested in the non non drug type approaches. Yes. Yeah. So I did that for So nothing not linked to dentistry no. or oral medicine no. or TMJ or any of no, that. No, nothing no, yeah. for about two okay. years or so. Yeah. And then a position came up at the dental hospital in Melbourne in the in the TMD clinic, and they were sort of looking for a dentist. And it's that interesting because they were looking for someone not was not conventionally trained, but was actually able to work with stress management and helping people in making lifestyle changes as yeah. part of the management. And I, I had done a lot of TMD type training, especially yeah. with uh, Tom Wilkinson in Adelaide and Panky who had a big focus on TMD as well. So I was really interested in that area as well, and, and particularly the stress management side of it. And, yeah. just, and just generally what people can do for themselves rather than just relying on, on medication and stuff yeah. and splints. So I got that job, worked there right, in the yeah. TMD clinic pain clinic at the dental hospital just associated with the oral medicine clinic there and I really enjoyed that. that so that a, would have really dovetailed nicely with the yeah. counselling and the, the therapeutic side of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, I really... They gave me that freedom uh, to... I was What I was doing was quite different from yeah. other practitioners but I, I kind of enjoyed that. I think that... But, but how I got interested in sleep, which you probably going to ask me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at the time, this would have been around 98 or so, 1998, I hadn't heard a lot about, about oral appliances for, for sleep, dental sleep medicine, but I did hear something about it. And there was a guy at the dental hospital who knew a little bit about it, so I had spoken to him. And I happened to have a patient come in who, with bruxism, a lot of wear in his teeth, and he came in for an occlusal splint, didn't have too many TMD problems. People come in just for a splint, they had healthcare cards. Yeah. And I remember I asked him, about sounds, you know, do you make any sounds at night? He said, I do, but it's the snoring, which is the big thing. It's not the clenching and grinding. And he was telling me I kept his wife up at night, etc. And I remember thinking, it'd be really interesting. Instead of making him a bruxism splint, maybe he could be my first patient. I'll try out a mandibular advancement okay. split, uh, which I did. And it was pretty primitive. It was just two splints joined together at a protruded, just random position. So, so actually locked together. Locked together. Yeah, okay. yeah, there was no way of taking a protrusive registration mm-hmm. except just eyeballing it. Yeah. And anyway, he came he came back in a couple of weeks later and he was just over the moon, you know, and he said the first night his wife had to check on him all the time because she thought he'd died. There was no sound coming from him. <laughs> yes. And uh, and they wound up going on a trip in a caravan around Australia which they'd been putting off for years to be snoring. Yeah. So it just got me really interested. In was that a light bulb moment? For yeah, you? it was. That, that, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. yeah. And at some point soon after I thought I, I want to set up a practice in dental sleep medicine which yeah. which I did you know at that time very part time at the time I was visiting sleep physicians and having chats to them about what I was doing and 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 wanting referrals and at the time oral appliances there, there isn't there wasn't the body of evidence that's there now sort of yeah. validating as a treatment sure. and sleep physicians didn't know a lot about it and I'd be sending them articles and started to get some Referrals from sleep physicians, ear, nose, and throat specialists. Yeah. And, you know, very slowly, kind of built up. Yeah. the practice. And now to your full time with a number of dentists working with you as well. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I was kind of just going along really slowly in those early days, probably working a couple of half days, and then my brother-in-law, my wife's 
brother stayed with us for a couple of weeks. He'd come from Sydney and he had a background in marketing and business, etc. And we just started chatting. He said, well, let's try and get this going full time. Let's do some yeah. heavy duty marketing, which we did. So over a period of time, he got on radio and yep. did ads and yeah, it made, made a big difference. I mean, the, we're doing radio ads at the time and I don't know if they, if they were working that well, but, but one of the presenters who read the ad rang up his name was Ernie Sigley he's quite a big name in Melbourne at the time okay and we made him an appliance and he was just over the moon about right. it yeah and yeah. started talking about it on his radio program and he had me on a couple of times it's just fantastic publicity you know just taking calls from the public and we were just inundated you know with that just over the years it was a process of building up the practice and yes right now we've I've got there's four part-time dentists mm -hmm. he's working two days a week yeah. you know seeing patients yeah what I want to do is maybe jump back into a few of the few of those areas first yeah. of all into the communication skills aspect of it I, I also did a, a year-long counseling course o over in the UK yeah. as a dentist part-time as well because I had a similar interest in that yeah. area and one thing I noticed about doing a counseling course and doing the 50-minute hours as well is you, is you really work on your listening skills mm. and not just normal what we think about conversational listening it's it's mm. much deeper listening than that it's it's listening for meanings of what people are saying and, and even more potent than that I think listening for underlying feelings and, and reflecting that back to mm. patients mm -hmm. what's your experience on on how powerful listening can be yeah I was yeah, I was talking about that last night at dinner with my ex-wife, who's also a dentist, and, yeah. and you know we get along very well. And she she's done a lot of work in this area. We're talking about stress in dentistry, and we're saying how to use what you're saying as an example. That often, yeah, a patient will come and say, "I hate dentists," and you now it's easy to take that really personally and think and and get annoyed by it. But if you actually kind of look beyond that there's fear there isn't yes. there and I yeah. think that's what you're talking about it it's is like, what are they really exactly saying what I'm talking about yeah, yeah. and if, if you can look at it that way right yeah. and, and and maybe open it up through communication then you you, you don't just react to the what the person the has said yeah. Yeah. And you've got an opportunity to really help that person and make a big difference in their lives and it becomes a very positive experience that yes involved. I read a very good study cool in 2001 and he talks about empathic opportunities mm. and I actually use it in my talk in a couple of days oh, at the great. conference here that very statement that you made the I hate dentist as I, I call that an empathic opportunity yes rather than as you say taking it at face value that they hate you or they hate dentists mm. in general they mm. actually they're not saying that at all really mm. they're saying that they're nervous or they're scared of the costs or they've had a previous bad experience so uh, that's the opportunity for you to mm. not take it as a personal thing that's but right. sit yes. back absorb it and yep. then reflect back and say have you had a bad experience or what's what's happened to you in the past yeah and often the floodgates open for yep. those patients and it really you can see the body language change as that's as right as you've given them that opportunity to maybe yeah, tell yeah. a story that they've never been able to tell anyone else before. Exactly. It's rare to come across someone who really listens, yeah. and it's a very empowering, positive experience for, for that patient to do that. And, and another example which is very relevant in our clinic is talking about the cost of an appliance, because that's the number one question people ask, how much is it? You for know? sure. So, so we do role playing that with staff, etc. And and I've I've had a lot of realizations in that area as well because sometimes you might say the cost like we charge nineteen hundred dollars for appliance therapy. This is a twelve month course of treatment, and sometimes a patient might say, just as an example, they might say, 
oh, that's expensive, you know, and it's so easy just to react where you don't really know what they're saying by that. No, you know? we don't. And and I think that if, if we if haven't looked at our own reactions as well, you can, maybe deep down you feel it's expensive as well, you feel defensive about it, yeah. I think it's easy to get into justification just, yeah. and, and stuff like that. I, I think, I mean, the first step is to really feel good about the fee that you charge, that, that you feel it, that it's it's reasonable, that it's justified based on your expenses, etc. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'd be great to be able to do it for less, but you know the realities of overheads and all the rest is such that that's what a fee needs to be, and it's not for a bit of plastic either. You know, no. in our situation, no. there, there's people get side effects, and there's a lot of problem solving to do, and sometimes we make a second appliance if the first one, for whatever reason, is not the optimal appliance for them, shape or whatever, and that we don't sort of charge for that. So there's quite a bit to communicate in what's included in, in that. But, but sometimes the patient it just is, is, is talking out loud and they've got a lot of expenses in their life with their private schools and all those and saying, oh my God, I know I want this. They probably may not even have a problem with the cost at all. It's just, how can I afford it? Yeah. And I'll just say, oh my God, you know, yeah. it's expensive. So I, I've, had, I've been amazed at the number of people that have said that and my first reaction might be an initial consultation, oh, they're not going to go ahead with treatment. Yeah. And they do, yeah, they, yeah. they don't think twice about it. Yeah. It's another, I suppose, communication cliche that listen and silent are spelt with the same letters. Yeah. And often when they come out with a statement like that, sometimes just silence can be the best thing, just mm. encouraging yeah. them maybe to say a little bit more oh. about that rather than, as you say, jumping straight in with a justification mm. or, or a defensive reaction or, or something. Yeah, I think that that's very valid. And something yeah. else that probably comes up in your practice, building rapport with patients mm. obviously ties in with that with those listening skills. In your practice, you don't have the long-term relationship necessarily that most dentists would have in, in general practice with their patients. I'm guessing you have to be sharp on, on those rapport building skills because you've got a limited amount of time to do that without a prior mm. relationship. Mm. How do you do that or how do you teach that in your, in your clinic? Because I know as well, um, preempting as well, you talked a lot about your team as well. So right from the get-go, mm. from the initial mm. phone contact. Yeah, look, I think that's a really important area to go into depth about. And, it, and we, we get two types of patients. We get ones that are referred. And it's probably these days about 50-50. So the patient's referred from a sleep physician. And I'll say to the patient and they may have failed the CPAP machine they're tired and sleepy they're quite keen to get treatment and they've had a sleep study done they know they've got sleep apnea and the sleep physician who they now trust because they've been referred to the sleep physician by their GP who they trust yeah and the sleep physician says oh you should go to sleep wise they're really fantastic they'll really look after you and so so those those patients are they come in they're really keen for treatment you you they they just want to start basically yeah. so yeah. that that those are easy but then we get other patients uh, and these are the other patients that have maybe seen the sign or um or whose spouse has said yeah, get in you've there. got to go and do yeah. something yeah. or uh, they've seen us on the internet and yeah. a lot of those patients have tried all these kind of shonky treatments like boil and bite sprays at the back of the throat pillows chin straps and they, they, none of them work mm-hmm. and that's like okay what have you got so they you know they come in really sort of skeptical yeah uh, or they ring up that way and in fact obviously the phone call is really important because that that's the first contact yes and whether they make that initial appointment or not will depend on how that phone call goes so yes it's important for us dentists but it, it, to handle that 
that consultation really well, but the phone call is critical. Well, do you want to speak about that first then? Yeah. What sort of training you, because mm-hmm. I know you did allude to the fact, and, and I could see that as well on that weekend I came mm-hmm. here, how professional, and I use the word slick in a good mm-hmm. way, your, your mm-hmm. staff were, they were very much on the ball and seemed, yeah, that, that came across very clearly too. Can you speak a bit about that and about the communication okay, yeah. techniques or skills you... you yeah, so first of all, I'm, I'm not a great believer in like scripted type stuff. People have to be natural, they have to bring their own kind of personality and values, but there's certain principles involved. And so maybe we'll talk about the sort of general principles yeah, that, that, that the staff can then adapt uh, their own unique personality to... to so the first thing is the importance of just listening to the, to the patient. Now you, you brought that up, Coleman. That, that is absolutely critical because we used to record calls, and we still do occasionally and, and listen in. Um, yeah. we, we tell the staff that we're doing that as part of the training. It's pretty uh, in, intimidating at first, but they value it. And we hire people, and we tell them that, we, that that's part of it, is that we do that kind of thing, and it's, it's great for general growth and development. And okay. people, and then we get, we get the sort of people that do value that kind of thing. Yeah. So you put it to, to the staff that this is a, a learning tool or a development tool. Oh, absolutely. Person. We yeah. hire them as well. Yeah. You know. I've been amazed recording people, and a patient will ring up and say, oh, what do you do? Oh, we do sleep appliances. Oh, yeah, how much are they? And they answer that, and they'll say, oh, how long do they last for? And they'll tell them that. And then they'll say, oh, okay, great, I'll get back to you and just hang up. So this person, the receptionist, doesn't even know why they rang. And how can you talk about helping this person, about what you can do for them, the benefits of treatment, if you don't really know why they're ringing? Yeah. And I reckon that happens all the time. In, you know, it's in, in every <laughs> dental practice and yeah. across yeah. the land probably, not, yeah. not just in your practice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It sounds so obvious that you would find that out but if you just react to what the person says and you might be great in how you answer their questions yes but you're not finding out the main reason that they called so what's the door opener to yeah. give the patient the chance to to yeah. get into it a little in yeah. more depth so we'll, we'll so often patients will tell us why they've called so and yeah it okay. m- might elaborate on that you know it's not in, but if they haven't we'll then they ask, oh, what do you do? We'll say, appliances, uh, how much are they? You might answer the question and you might just say, is, is it okay if I just ask you, is this for yourself, for example? Because sometimes they'll call for their partner, so start off that way. Yeah. And then you might say, what are your main concerns or problems? Then they'll talk about that. So they'll do. our staff will do a bit of a screening because sometimes patients will call up and it's, it's not sleep apnea, snoring, which is a problem. It'll be insomnia or something that okay. it's not our area and we don't want people coming in for a 45 minute cons- consultation where after three minutes you know you've got to refer yeah. them off somewhere so, so they're very something good. like that stop bang or so, uh, one of those no, or, no, no you don't really even need to do that okay. so just all you do you just have to ask first of all, is snoring a problem if yeah. snoring's not a problem okay then then you've got to say well what is the problem yeah. and it can be tiredness is usually the other one they wake up unrefreshed or tired yes and if you look at all the reasons that people are tired, I've been to a number of presentations of sleep physicians where they're only looking at causes of tiredness and, and sleep apnea is number seven. You oh, know? really? So there's all these other reasons. Yeah. So, okay. so you, you need to be asking a few questions. And, but, I mean, most of our patients do snore and it's a problem. So that's pretty easy because dentists have got the best treatment for snoring, mm-hmm. which I went over in the seminar yesterday. Yeah. So we can really, for 95% of people, we can satisfy them with the snoring. And uh, a lot of those people have got sleep apnea as well. Yeah. So we're kind of 
listening to them, finding out what their concerns are, making sure that they're appropriate patients for us. So, and, and the patients feel, like you were saying before, Colm, they, they feel listened to. And sometimes they'll say that the snoring is the problem and, and the, the person on the phone might say, what about tiredness? Do you kind of wake up tired? And I'll mm-hmm. say, well, I do. And, and the next question might be, how many hours sleep do you get per night? So if they're getting at least, say, six, seven hours sleep and they're still tired, you have to really think that sleep apnea is going to be a really a main cause is particularly if they're chronically snoring every night and then then they might open up that whole thing about sleep apnea and they've never connected the mm. tiredness with the snoring yes and they've just thought well i'm getting into my 40s and 50s maybe i'm meant to be tired and even the gp hasn't picked it up and and for a lot of people you know it's like wow this my tiredness might be due to something you know yeah so that that can open up in in that in that phone call but you've got to be careful because sometimes you've got you know like a typical male pushed into being called they're only interested mm-hmm. in snoring they're not yeah. interested in any medical problems so again it's a dance you know it's listening to see yeah. are they interested to learn more about the tiredness or nah just hear from my snoring and other thing yeah and sometimes it may even just plant a seed that they go away and think yeah, exactly about it and ring in two months time again when they're just really jacked off the whole thing so much that yeah right I'm ready to go now I think I think planting a seed I think that's a really good point and one of the problems I think in the communication thing is like having to get people to say yes at the end of that appointment you know and often it's a process isn't it yes like stopping smoking and you you might hear about the reasons but it might take you 20 years before you, you actually do it and the old expression you can lead a horse to water mm. but you can't make a drink I'm a strong believer in that you, you've got to give the information and yeah. sit back and the, the patient has to make the decision and the timing has to be right for the patient as well I don't know if you when you did your counselling did you, did you come across the motivational interview kind of a uh, little bit a very yeah. little bit yeah, yeah. So, so that was more on assessing where that patient is in that continuum of where they're ready to take action yes and, and if they're early on in that continuum you don't kind of push them to act mm. it's more giving them information and um, etc et and you know, we, we often find people come in and they may not go ahead initially you think you've failed but you know, nine months later they yeah. you know they ring and, and they, they come in and what and what about then when the patient gets to you or, or your or well, the, let, let me just also say yeah. so yeah. apart from the listening yes because i think that's only just one part of it mm-hmm. and that's, that's not sufficient by any means no. so i just wanted to finish that if that no, was okay yeah, please so the the other thing is that we we want to build credibility about who we are you know so if, if with referrals, you don't really need to do that. But on the phone, credibility is important because a lot of the patients have been burnt off with trying various de- other devices. Okay, yeah. And we want them to know that sort of we're, we're a clinic, uh, we're prof- we're, that we're dentists. And, and I, I think this is a really big part when you haven't got that relationship with them it's so easy for staff to say oh do, do, do these appliances work and they say oh yeah they, they work really well well the patients expect you to say that yes. wouldn't they yeah work of course for, you'd for say them. that yeah. wouldn't you yeah, yeah, yeah. so so build, building credibility it should be done like subtly talking about maybe things like this is what the studies show a lot of our patients come from referrals from might drop that into the conversation yeah. just about building credibility we, we did a study at Sleepwise showing that 95% of people get rid of their snoring and just different ways of using second parties or third parties yeah. uh, to validate validating because I seem to remember do you even send patients links to the studies if they yeah, ask you I we think do. And, and we, yeah. we've put a big effort in our website okay, in, yeah. in so about six months ago we decided 
because m- most people go on the website first before ringing with thought, well, let's try and answer all their questions on the website and build idea. credibility yeah. on the website as well. So I think that's re- been, been really helpful in all the frequently asked questions. So by the time they ring, they, they already know a, a lot of the stuff. So building credibility and the, the other, and there's different ways of doing that. And the other area is, is talking benefits, you know. Yes. That is just so important uh, sure. in that people... They, they might ask these, and it's and the same in the initial consultation. And people say, "Oh, how do the appliances work?" But you know, do you really do they really care how they work? They just want to, they want it to work. You yeah, know, basically, yeah. That's what they really want to know. Yes. will this work for me? And unless you address that, so I've just seen what a huge difference it makes when when you talk about what's possible. Which again, it's often not said at all yeah and so for example a patient might ask something like oh how far forward do i bring the jaw you know with mm-hmm. the appliance so i'll say i'll, I'll tell them how far and I'll, but I'll, I'll make sure i'll say until the snoring goes and you're feeling more refreshed yeah which is true but that again you they're, they're visualizing Gee, I, I could feel really good here and and it's and it just makes a really big difference, yeah. you know, when you talk about that because that's that's why they're they're ringing. Really. So that that language you're using that from the little bit I know about NLP, it's mm. kind of a little bit like that. You're using specific language to promote the benefits just in the way in the way you talk. And I also remember as well from the course, even your body language, you can tell your your passion for this whole area when you're speaking. These life changing effects that this can have for patients and obviously you, you've listed off in, in the course all the benefits to patients lives from better sleep better relationships with the partners and now all the medical stuff links with heart disease stroke depression and almost every week there's another thing gets added to the list for for lack of sleep so you really portray that and that that's that's something that came across very much and I assume you you portray that in a room with a patient which is which is very powerful you do that through your not necessarily what you say your whole body language is really portraying that that passion for what you do and that just one thing I wanted to add which would be an interesting topic is that sometimes you're in initial consultation and this person and this patients come in and they may have been referred as well, so they kind of know that we know what we're doing. Yeah. And they're really sleepy and tired. They fail CPAP. They snore. It's a really big problem. And you go through it all, and you think, well, this is just a no-brainer for them. That's what you're thinking. You know, they're going to be a great patient. Can't wait to do it. Yeah. And they say, I'm going to think about it. Right. And it's like, what the hell's going on here? You mm-hmm. know, like, and if, if you're not prepared for that, so we've done a little bit of work on that, because if someone says that at the end of the appointment, yeah, it sounds really good. Let me get back to you. I, I don't know about you, but I'm sort of, and they leave, I'm left thinking, you know, what's missing here? Yes, and as you say, sometimes it's such a no-brainer, you're kind of going, what, what's going on? Yeah, yeah, they've got a job, like they're working in the city, so you can't think of why they, they wouldn't go ahead. Yeah, you know? so how do you address <laughs> that, or is there, is there a way to address it, having thought about yeah. it? Well, I, I think you have to plan, because I remember, like, when it first happens... You're thinking to yourself, I'd love to, what can I say here? But if you feel it's going to be intrusive. You know, you're, you're not, if you're not prepared on what to say, you kind of feel like you can't really say, like you can't say, I want you going ahead sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the so, problem here? Yeah, yeah. 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 What's, what's the problem here? 
So um, I, I once employed this this lady, and uh, she was just really out there. She just wouldn't hesitate just to ask them. She yeah. just, and it was part of her personality. She'd get away with it. So, yeah. Look, I'm just wondering, like, um, why you? No, don't just tell her. But this, I would say, I remember I said to to one person, I said. So I'd planned to say this if, if it happened. And so I said, I'm just wondering, if, um, just before you go, is there any kind of barriers or obstacles uh, that you can think of that might stop you going ahead with treatment? And um, he said, because he, he said, he, before that he'd said, he'd said that he's going to go away and think about it. Mm-hmm. So he said to me, uh, yeah, look, I, th- I thought that I would ask my own dentist whether they do it and see if I can get it done sort of cheaper somewhere else. Okay. So uh, I said to him, "Look, it's probably a good idea to do that." So, and again, that's another principle: don't resist what someone yeah, says. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's true. I'd probably do the same thing because yeah. I'm a bit like that myself. I don't just okay. rush in and buy things. Yeah, you know? so am I. Yeah, yeah. So and I'll often go back and, to the first person and buy. For sure. So I said, "Look, I think that's I think that's a reasonable thing to do to satisfy yourself." And I actually said to him, "Just when you when you speak to your dentist, just because a lot of dentists are not making appliances, just make sure they've done at least." 10 appliances yeah. and that they've got a range of several appliances and and that they've done a, some sort of training in, in the course and yeah. I said it really unattached I think that's really important I, not to I, be attached I know. agree I agree yeah. but I think your point is a very valid point yeah. as well I want to talk about attachment a little bit later too as my, my favorite topic okay <laughs> but and then I said and look when it comes to the fee you know our, our, our fee thing at the time it was like $1,700 and I said in, in Melbourne the dentists who are experienced in the area will charge between 1600 and 2500 something like that yeah. so he just said to me look can you just go ahead please okay. it was such an eye opener yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. and, and often the convenience of being there let's just let's just do it if, yeah. you, if you can just cross that hurdle mm-hmm. there and then because they're there in the room then it, I don't know if you read Thinking Fast and Slow by no. Daniel Kahneman uh, it's very fascinating oh yes oh, yes, they won a Nobel Prize won the Nobel yeah. Prize behavioural economics and why yeah, we do yeah. things is the main way he says to get people to do things is not by cajoling or promising or threatening it's removing the obstacle the obstacles exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. so yeah. You've, you've just removed the obstacle in, in his mind to to having it done by you yeah. because uh, he's thinking maybe he could get it cheaper somewhere else and you've just removed that obstacle yeah, and then, yeah. then which is what you said at the start com about really listening and the meaning behind what they're saying yeah because they're not often saying i mean i think doctors are aware of that when the patient yes they're just about to leave the consultation and, and then they they just throw in this little line about their impotence or whatever yeah, you know, yeah they're talking yeah. about something else oh yeah <laughs> and it happens in dentistry as well yeah. you've, you've done the big filling you're running half an hour late and they go Oh, could you just have a look at this front tooth here for me as well? Which is, you know, that's the way it goes. We've we've talked a lot, I suppose, a lot about this building rapport and the listening. Is there is there anything else that that you feel needs to go in there in mm. terms of what what you do and the attachment? Does that fit in in that area? Or do, yeah, I think do you it want does. to talk a little bit I, more I do want to about, talk about that? that because yeah. I know you, we we mentioned to me that you want to talk about communication yeah. skills and I, the thing about communication skills, I've. Over the years, I've seen dentists who are really good at communicating, and they're they're very they they do very well in their practices. And some of these dentists I know I've gone to went to school with and stuff. Never saw them do any courses on technical dentistry or clinical dentistry, but they do all the management, yeah. and, they, and they've got all the skills, you know. So they're good at selling treatment. Yeah. So there's. There's the skills you you can use, and you know the NLP, neuro linguistic programming, is just been fantastic training for salesmen and they'll, yeah. they'll, they'll and so they can listen as well mm-hmm. and they do things oh, you talked about body language before I never focus on body language ever 
and you talked about my body language yeah. but but I think body language comes kind of naturally depending on where you're coming from in an authentic way yes uh, no I agree on that yeah. that, that can be a real <laughs> minefield if you focus on body language yeah, yeah. And communicate. So there's people doing things like m- mirroring. You know, it's like they're sitting identical. They're breathing at the same rate. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it's unbelievable, really. Yeah. And it's manipulative, really. If you actually mm. look at it, it's manipulative. Yeah. So yeah. I wanted to sort of differentiate sort of communication skills, sort of from from communicating and rapport. And what, I mean, what yeah. is rapport really? And and I think for me. I think it's all about personal development and, and and knowing yourself. And sort of the Panky Institute was very much about that. Okay. It's like, so what, what is your motivation? Like, why are you doing dentistry? Why? What do you want to achieve with that patient? Because if, it, if you're unconscious about it, I know in my early days, it's just more about making money and having a lifestyle and yeah. stuff like that. And over a period of time, I got to see that about myself. And I, I could see what that bought me in terms of stress and lack of job satisfaction etc and so I mean over time the more I kind of looked at myself worked on myself and etc it was more about you know letting go of my own agendas which are really not going to lead me to job satisfaction and just being there like contributing in a real way to other people and and unless unless you view people like that, I mean, because everyone says that they say, "I oh, treat people like they're your own family," but yeah. who really? It's just words, you know. Yeah. So I think that's just a really important part of training, if you like. Is, that's is, that's is, very is, interesting because I've I've heard at the Panky Institute, the first dentist I worked with when I graduated in '93 had been over to the Panky Institute, and this was in Ireland, so mm-hmm. he was a real um, sort of pioneer. And so I'd heard about it very early on in my career, and but I thought it was all about learning the pros and the implants and all that. Yes, but, not, but since no. yeah, since I've listened mm. and looked into it a lot more, mm. it's all about taking it, stripping it right back to basics, and as you say, communication, uh, diagnosis, and treatment planning, and which you alluded to earlier as being sort of key skills and personal you, development. Like and, and know yourself is one of the yeah. I didn't know much about the personal development. So how do they get you to explore the, the personal development side? Well, you know, they're, they're, I, I just did two one week courses, mm. so you, it's a, a long term association with them with a yes. lot of reading material, and that, that wasn't what I was there for primarily because I, I was already doing that stuff anyway. Okay. So it was more the clinical side of things there. But um, just an example comes to mind. The sort of challenges that dentists face, I think, is really... And I'd be interested in your views on this, in that that we've got high overheads, you know, just to keep a practice open costs a lot of money. And you've got patients coming in and you've got to... And and so you you could push treatment. It's easy to justify to yourself that the patient needs certain treatment. Yes. And unconsciously because you're aware of the overheads. You're aware, not just the overheads of the practice, but your kids at private schools yeah. and all that sort of thing. As somebody said before, sometimes the dentist needs the treatment to be done more than the patient needs the treatment yeah, exactly. to be done, which exactly. is sort of a, not the way it should be. But yeah. yeah, but uh, look, I, I see a lot of that. I, I won't say a lot of it, but it's it's it, it's there. And look, I I mean, I, I have patients come in and they want to go ahead with an appliance. I take an OPG and, and check and they say, oh, I, I can't go ahead now because I'm having implants and stuff. And and you have a look in their mouth, and they've got a missing seven back there or something like mm-hmm. that. Or they they're being pushed into sort of treatment. You look at it and say, is it really necessary? Yeah. And so you know, I see I see quite a bit of that, you know, where or 
the patient said, I'm going to, I'm having, gonna, I've been told I have to have three crowns done. And you look in the mouth and there's just a couple of large-ish yeah. restorations that look pretty good to me and show up well on the x-rays and you sort of wonder about it. I've got to be careful, obviously, not to uh, undermine the dentist and that sort of thing. But, but I, I was just saying with myself, I can remember once where I'd booked the patient in for, I think, 10 veneers, or eight, eight anterior veneers, yeah. and booked them in, I think, for half the day. A patient came in in the morning for it, and I was sort of ready to start, open up, look in the mouth. It's almost like looking at it with fresh eyes. I'm thinking, you know, if you, if you whiten these teeth and put a bit of composite on the incisal edges, it'd probably look pretty good. But I had half a day booked in, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, what do you do here? So you're sort of locked in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, that was one time where I just... I bit the bullet and just put the chair up and said to the patient, gave her that choice. And um, it's, it's just an exact... Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect. There's a lot of times no. where unconsciously or whatever you kind of... You, you know, I, I think one of the great things about working at the dental hospital is you're, just, you're getting a wage and you're just not attached whatsoever yeah. to, the, to yeah. the outcomes. And 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 since I've done... Since I don't do general dentistry, I'm just not... a and I can advise differently. So these yeah. are the sort of challenges that, that dentists face and it's all about the that, and the attachment part of it. You know, how can you be unattached when you've got all these overheads? And Yeah, thinking purely in terms of what's in the patient's best interests mm. without bringing your own agendas, on, putting your own agenda on the table, I think is, it's a very difficult skill because, as you say, we're all, we always have our own stuff running as well, but yes. I worked in a practice before we set up where we are now, and this dentist, he's a lovely guy, but he's done some of the practice management type courses, and he had on the whiteboard in the staff room, in the staff, how much they were wanting to make per month, yeah. and there was a, what's it called, a, a number that they had to... Uh, key indicator that the they KPIs KPI yeah, yeah, that they yeah. had to hit per patient how much yes. treatment per patient yeah sort of thing well I mean that, that that's a yeah I, I think that can be a dangerous road to go down because at the end of the day we're professionals and our status is protected it by by regulation and laws professionals and our duty is to always have the patient's best interest at heart I think you muddy the waters when you start bringing KPIs into it, and and I know that's always mooted that the corporates have that that little bit more push on their associates and employees mm-hmm. to to reach targets, and that's where it's sort of a grey area that I suppose is something for another day and mm-hmm. another time. But uh, yeah, I think that's probably going to become more and more apparent in dentistry as as dentistry becomes more corporatized. As you say, the attachment is the attachment. Then the attachment becomes the attachment to the shareholders who sort of are behind the, the corporate entity and, yeah. and those sorts of things, yeah. And that, that dynamic can work its way into the surgery then. Yeah. I think where I've changed is that I I just trust that if if I'm focused on what's best for the patient, then... I'll be successful. That's what building rapport is. Yeah. People get that. They I refer agree. and it will build the practice. If it doesn't, then look for another career. But usually it does. You know, yeah. That's the best kind of marketing you can... Yeah. It's a paradox, isn't it? I, you know, I, I, I in a way. <laughs> I was reading something about podcasting last night and I was saying, why are you doing your podcast? And I was trying to think about this. And I was... The, the why is to, to emphasize to dentists that if you do this rapport building the communication well with the best interests of the patients mm. at, at heart you you will 
build your practice up, you will get new referrals through word of mouth and, and that goodwill. You'll retain your existing patients. You'll have your treatment plans accepted. You'll have reduced complaints. So all these things that they go on these fancy whiz-bang yeah, management courses exactly. to do, if you do all these basics yeah, correct, yeah, you will, yeah. you'll enjoy it. Yeah, you'll have good relationships and, and, with people. Yeah. And at the end of it all, like yeah. which is point number five to yeah. that, <laughs> you will actually have a more fulfilling career. You will enjoy your dentistry. Mm. You will enjoy your practice because you'll be having these much more fulfilling relationships mm. with your patients, which I think you're there now. You seem to enjoy... The, the life-changing aspect of your of your practice of dentistry and, and the impact mm. it has on people's lives that mm. must be taking the money out of it that must be I, I'm sure more than than anything uh, the, the greatest driver that could be possible yeah, it's really enjoyable things. from yeah. that point of view in that you 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 are contributing to people's lives in a way that because when I was doing counseling you know, people have got entrenched problems and you know, a lot yeah. of sessions and, you know, they don't always have... It's a slow process. Yeah, it's a slow process. Yeah. Well, God, this is a bit of plastic and yeah. you kind of change people's lives. And, I mean, I've had, I've had a couple of psychiatrists come in as patients and they were kind of gobsmacked of how much better they felt just by sleeping. And so they, mm. they look at depression differently now in that... Of course, there, there's real depression to do with what's going on in people's lives, but so much of it is, is sleep-related, yeah. and it could, be, it could be a primary sleep problem as well that's leading to it, isn't it? Yeah. Have you read Matthew Walker's book yes. about sleep? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a great book, isn't it? That's a great book, yeah. 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 And I've heard him interviewed a couple of times. That, that's actually... And the importance of sleep. The importance of sleep, yeah. And maybe you could... I don't know if you hand that book out at your practice or recommend <laughs> it, but it's it's pretty terrifying the, the damage it does to people. So yeah. yeah. Following on from the rapport bit, challenging situations. How do you manage or deal with challenging mm. situations? Because there there is an aspect of your work where there can be unexpected outcomes, yes. or I won't, don't want to call them adverse outcomes, but certainly unexpected outcomes, such as teeth moving or or, mm. or PMJ getting sore, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Obviously, the first part of it, I think, from what you said, is is letting the patients know about that possibility in the first place. So, a, an explanation beforehand is an explanation. A, an explanation after is, is an excuse. Yeah. Yes, that's so, right. So, uh, do you want to say yeah. a little bit more about yeah, that? So just just in sort of a, those challenging situations. Yeah. So, in a general sense, this area is different from other areas of dentistry. In that, first of all, you you can't successfully treat every person. And, and the holy grail is to try and identify who, who an appliance will and won't work for. Okay. This is a topic in our seminar with one of the sleep physicians yesterday, is that the there's no test, you can't tell. You know, sometimes someone comes in, they've only got mild sleep apnea, they're not overweight, and you think, this has got to work, and it doesn't. You know, And the reason it's coming out now that there are causes of sleep apnea which are not anatomical. You know, they're to do with, with physiology and muscle response and, and other things. So that's not the central? This, this no, is still no, this is not central. Yeah, this yeah. is still obstructive. Yeah, okay. So, so people still having obstructions. And it, it, but, so it looks like it's just, this is OSA, obstructive sleep apnea. But now they're realising there's different forms of obstructive sleep apnea. And sometimes it's just not the muscles responding to a lack of oxygen, and, and which has got nothing. And an appliance is not going to do too much for those people. Fortunately, it works for most people. Yes. But 
it's still going to be, could be as high as 10%. Yeah, I was going to ask you for a, for a ballpark number on that. Yep. So, so are you telling patients up front that there's a 90% chance of, that this will work? Or what, what, how, <laughs> are you, how, are you, how are you catching those numbers? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. That, yeah, that, that's, that's a good discussion all, all on its own. So, so generally, the, the fact is you can't tell for an individual. You do get some feeling for an individual person because the, the less the sleep apnea... The, the less overweight they are, the, the greater the chance of it working, but you can't be 100% certain. So as with general dentistry, if you do that impression right and you've got a good technician, you just fit the thing and the patient doesn't even know about it, uh, no, 99.9, yes. <laughs> yes. but here you're going to get 10, 15% of patients where they're going to get a suboptimal response and, so, and sometimes you can't eat. A lot of the time you can pick it and you'll tell the patient, look, I'm not sure, you know, there's some factors here which I'm a bit concerned about uh, that may mitigate the chance of success. You might say that. The, the best thing we've done is to give a money-back warranty. Okay. Right. So yeah, that, that's pretty good. And yeah, I, yeah. I, My natural tendency is to push people and I don't want to push people inappropriately and, and, and often, often people come in and they, they might be tired and sleepy. They've tried everything. They do snore a bit. It may not worry them. And you're thinking, hmm, will it, will it work or won't it work? But they've tried everything else. And if your appliance worked, wow, it would really change their lives. So you want to give it a go. But yes. the patient needs to know that um, it may not work. And, and, and I tend to... And, and the, the good thing about the kind of money-back sort of guarantee or warranty is that they're, they're then willing to give it a go. We yeah. fund 80% of the fee if for any reason they're okay. not satisfied. Yeah. Um, we did it tentatively at first, probably about six, seven years ago, but our numbers are consistently about 4% a year will ask for their money back. Mm-hmm. And so that's not a huge amount. No. And, and, and but it probably means that a whole greater percentage go ahead that wouldn't have yeah that's a very good way of looking yeah. at it yeah but i wouldn't recommend it for any new dentist in the field because people will come in with a problem and it, you need to have the experience to solve it and if you can't solve it they're going to ask for their money back so if instead of four percent you might you might get 30 percent yeah know? yeah and i think you you're coming from a perspective of 45 plus years of dentistry and mm. having done your Panky Institute and the focus on diagnosis and, and mm. um, all, all those sorts of things, you're coming with that background and bringing that to the yeah. table. So further from what you were saying is that the nat- when you're putting in an upper and lower appliance in people's mouth that holds the jaw forward and put pressure on teeth, 20% of patients are going to have some side effect. So they're going to have maybe if the mandible's too far forward at the start for them, so they're getting tender teeth, that may have triggered a TMD problem they never had before. Um, it might The appliance might be a little bit loose and it's coming out of the mouth because they're moving their jaw around more than other people. Yeah. So you get a percentage of people that are going to come in and they're now kind of wondering, should they have gone ahead? And if there's a money-back thing, they're thinking, oh, um, yeah, I should maybe get my money back yeah. within the first two months. Then you, So there's those problems which you need to be able to solve pretty easily. And then the next problem, uh, people come in, I'm still snoring, you know, mm-hmm. like... How, how, why hasn't it got rid of my snoring? Well, there's things you can do. I mean, most of the time you can tweak things. There's some what's called combination treatments that you do on top of just the appliance. So if, so for those 20% of patients, if you, if, or, or 
or more if, if you don't kind of solve them they're going to want their money back so the nature of what we do it's, it's like with a crown you kind of put it on but with this you've got to sort of solve problems it's part of what you do and because so it's not a matter of just having a good fitting appliance and that's the end because sometimes dentists new in the field think oh, I'll just charge you know twelve hundred dollars because I'll just get an appliance they think it's just putting an appliance in the yes. mouth yeah but it's not and and then and I think the, the thing with our clinic, you know, we've seen I think over eight thousand patients. We've seen everything that can go wrong. Absolutely <laughs> yes. yeah. everything. I yeah. have. I've se- I've seen yeah. it all. Crowns being pulled off teeth in the fitting visit. You know, you name it. And and just when you think you've you've seen everything, someone will come in with some bizarre you know, side yeah. effect or whatever. Um, and so we talk a lot about that as a group. Most of the dentists with me now, been with me for three or four years. I've kind of seen everything as well. And so you feel pretty comfortable. You know doing that and when I do a seminar I try and impart that so people yeah. don't have to go through giving money back them with them no, you do yeah. that sort of thing you know in the early days mm. yeah. and do you get a like a cross spectrum of, of reactions from patients do you do you get any sort of irate patients yeah so that's a really good point so and again it comes back to what you first said column about rapport so the potential for irate patients is high because we had a Disaster with the laboratory last year. We just were using a laboratory, and I'd say 50% of the patient of, of the appliances fractured. You know, within the first few months, get irate patients breaking in the mouth. They became loose, etc. And you had to deal with. And so patients had spent this money. Yes. And it's like, what? Why is this happening? You know. So, and and my job now, I don't see too many patients because now, because my job is dealing with. Irate, or not, not not so much irate, but people yeah. who are questioning or have uh, uh, or have some sort of issue. But if the rapport's there at the start, you know, if they get that, and they, and they do at some point, if the non-referred patients, they really feel that you're there and you're willing to do whatever it takes. So uh, with my patients, they, they know they can come in any time. We don't yeah. charge them. They, I give them my mobile, and that they get. And, and just in that initial consultation. The, the way we conduct it, we, it's really obvious to the patient that we're there to educate them yeah. you know, and that we care that they know what's going on and we're tuned in. And, and so, yeah, they might be irate, but they if they get that you care, then yeah. and how you deal with that patient is important too. Like the it is. tendency is to want to justify and defend, isn't it? <laughs> it, yes, it can be. And it never goes well. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No. Uh, so a couple of things there you've said relating back to, as you said, in terms of managing these potentially difficult interactions is, number one, having that bank of goodwill built up mm. in the first place mm. with your good yep. rapport building, listening skills, educating right at the start. And the second, being on the front foot, getting getting onto it early, that giving the mobile, giving the patient quick access to, to getting a fix as well. And not I presume you don't hang about, you say get them in as quickly as possible and, and we'll fix this for mm. you that's this that's just a given there's there's another important aspect and that is what we touched upon is the tendency is to justify and defend because they're, they're they're not happy with you and you're, and you're trying to say oh look no we're, we're good no that we, we didn't fail really it's almost intimating it's their pr- it's maybe yeah. something that they did and it's so easy to do that oh you you must be a big clencher yeah. you broke it or whatever or did you drop it when you you dropped it, it yeah. you must have yeah. dropped it and, yeah. that, and that, yeah. that, they don't like that you know no. they're just going to resist so so one of the things that I think is really important is to recognise that you'd feel the same way as well you know just to really 
and and not do it as a technique, but you know, just no. just genuinely and, and be honest and not trying to say, and say yeah, look, I'm really sorry, to apologise. Yeah. I'm sorry that that happened. You know, well, you, you, that's empathy, isn't it? Really, yeah, seeing yeah. it from walking in the other person's shoes and seeing yeah. it from their point. The dentist, you know, you kind of feel like legally you better not say that because you're admitting liability or something yes. like that. And yeah, no, you can absolutely. Yeah, I've done some complaints management mm-hmm. work as well, and there's a huge apologies is a huge legal area, but I, I agree with you. I think be on the front foot and um, saying something like I'm really sorry this has happened I'm really sorry for the inconvenience that you have to come back yeah it shouldn't have happened it's the last thing we want we're expecting these appliances to last you know you tell them it's going to last for six or seven years and it breaks in a month you know so yeah and we take it seriously on doing what and people really almost invariably they, you know, they know they know you're human. They'll appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, we just lately we told our staff, you know, if someone rings with a broken appliance, we want to convey that it doesn't happen every day. It's like, oh, really? So, like, okay. you know, that's, yeah, yeah. that's, uh, that's etc. So they know that it's not because otherwise they're thinking, God, is this meant you know happen all the time? But, and you know, and I told them, look, let's make sure that when this is repaired, it's repaired in such a way that it's got extra strength and there's a lot less likely to happen and I might then give them a warranty for another four years of it not happening or something like that you know yeah. to, you know, I, th- I think that the, the thing with the irate patient is they've got the potential obviously to do sort of damage to the practice and I and for us if someone's not happy we'll do whatever we can we'll yeah. do it make another appliance because I mean you find practice will spend thousands and thousands of dollars on marketing to get new mm. patients but why not spend a bit of money redoing an appliance and making people yeah. happy but and the again the counterintuitive thing about this is as well often when you satisfy that very irate patient and you get them fixed beyond their expectations they often become your biggest exactly. advocate they go out into the community That's and so they'll true. tell I had a little problem with this, but Harry fixed it. In a That's the real test fix. of character, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How, how are you going to how are you going to perform? It's same in a marriage, or you just met <laughs> yes, someone. Yes. What's it going to be like when it's problems not, happen? Yes. You know, that's the yeah. test of it is. Of, yeah, of, of, yeah. Of, of yeah. and when it works out well, as mm. say those patients often become your biggest advocate. Yeah, to go out yeah. and sing your praises more more than anyone yeah. else will. And what yeah. feels good is that even if the appliance you know hasn't worked and we've refunded the money they're really appreciative of the effort we've made for them yeah you know, for that and the fact that uh, that we're willing to to give the money back as well yeah and they and 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 they'll refer patients I was I was unlucky you know yeah I can I can see that 100 yeah. percent yeah and you alluded there a little bit that you're less hands-on on the clinical mm. side what I want to talk a little bit about this in in this area as well about communication mm. leadership falls into this and I, mm. I'll be speaking to quite a few practice owners or leaders in their field. First of all, what what I'm often amazed about is that dentists maybe don't necessarily see themselves as leaders, but no matter what sort of dentist you are, I, I'm currently an associate dentist, but I'm, I'm still a leader of a dental team of nurse, hygienist, reception, uh, even though I'm not the owner of the practice, and obviously then you've got business ownership or, or being in a management role in a government clinic. Do you see yourself a, a, as a leader, or you might call it something else, a business owner, but effectively you are a, a leader in your in your field not just in your practice, but also in this whole field of mm. dental sleep medicine. I, I would argue in Australia, you, you're presenting yourself as an advocate for this field. What do you think of that, and what do you think are the qualities of, of an effective leader? Yeah, I think whether you think of it or as, as a leader or not, if you're the owner of the practice, you know you, you're, you're responsible for the philosophy, for the for the way people are motivated, their their 
sense of satisfaction within the workplace. It's all up to you. Yeah, it's the whole culture of the culture is the yeah. word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. and uh, no one else is going to drive that, and so so that just that comes part and parcel with the responsibilities and, that, and there's a, a lot that, that we can do and need to do if you want to be a successful practice. If you've got staff that don't really want to be there or just doing it as a job, then how is that going to impact on the success of the practice? How do you instill that? Because again, I, going back to that course I went on, mm. I got a real sense of that from your mm. team that worked yeah. with you. They were, they were very enthusiastic. have really been through all the highs and lows of that and we, we, we used to follow a guy in the States who, um, his name was Avram King and it was called Nexus and it was about building a culture with extraordinary staff people and and how, how you interview to get those staff people mm. and these were people who may be social workers or have psychologists or whatever and you pay them more and this is part and parcel of a super successful practice to get really exceptional people and there's certain yeah. distinctions of who you look for okay. and, and certain qualities that those people have so you're looking for the kind of people that in a job interview are not just saying oh how much are you going to pay me and is is it close by what's the transport that they it, it's important for them to get enormous job satisfaction they've got a track record of loving to contribute to yeah. people they do voluntary work in their life normally and there's all these qualities um the problem is that you can you can employ those people but you're not going to keep them right you know because yeah. you've got a, if you've got a traditional dental practice they're just going to yeah, right. How, how do you keep them stimulated? Yeah, so, so that's the challenge. So yeah. Everyone wants good, good people. They're really important, but but you've got to keep them engaged and with job satisfaction. And so I think that's really important. So, so how, how have you done that? Yeah. So just in a general sense, you're still wanting to find the right people. So that job interview is is, is important. It's always a trial because you can never tell. No. <laughs> yeah. No. And so so generally with us, I think what one aspect is. To, to educate new people when they come in. So m- most of the staff that come in don't know anything about sleep. And because they'll be doing a lot of the patient education on the phone, yes, etc., yeah. that to educate them so they feel like they're a, they're a professional in the area, they're not just saying some scripts. They'll come to courses with us and, and yeah. having been here at Congress, I'll go back and we're going to talk about it. And so they're continually updating their knowledge not just in the clinical area but also in communication skills we've done courses with you know the various people out there that run telephone training and 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 etc and and those areas and they come back really motivated from that they'll share it with the group so you found that that's valuable really valuable yeah yeah and so having educational experience as part of development and growth both personally and communication wise and clinically um, having time together, you know, we probably could do better than that, but having, you know, pizza after work on a Friday, mm-hmm. which we do, and, and, and I've been amazed to get to know some of the people that, in ways that I couldn't have known what they were like just interacting with them in the clinic. So yeah. I found that that aspect is, is really important, but also spending time listening to them. We talk about listening yeah. to the patient, yeah, yeah. what's their experience, yeah. you know, and, and also. They need to be clear on what their jobs are as well, but also to give them the ability to be autonomous with, within that and, and take feedback. Because you know, in my early days, before 
I kind of knew more about myself. I was pro- I was probably more more a kind of benevolent dictator, telling people what to do and yes. stuff like that. They're the experts. They're the ones dealing with. We ask yeah. them, and they feel good contributing. Yeah, and uh, if, if you encourage them to show initiative and and, and showing and and you know, giving praise, you know, uh, we, we hear about that. And I, look, that was foreign to me in my first ten years. I'd say just just had expectations. This is what you're meant to do. But now I reflect and say these people are amazing. They just put so much effort into our clinic. It's just. I'm in awe of it, and yeah. and I and I express it. And as a male in my background, yeah. you know, it, it can be awkward, but it's important that I do that. Yeah. And, uh, so you're having gratitude for what they, yeah. what they do because no successful dental practice runs without good staff. There's n- yeah. there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And yeah, I certainly think about that, particularly when you get a a, a less optimal member of staff. You really appreciate what the good staff do so yeah yeah not taking for granted i think that's a really big one yeah Yeah. not taking for granted and even again you mentioned relationships praising the little things as well as the big things just showing Mm. continual gratitude like most evenings i'll I'll thank my nurse thanks for thanks for the help today yeah that's great something just something like that and particularly if if we run late or stay late always got to be sure to show gratitude because as well as me coming home late and tired she'll be going home late and tired mm. to her family so you gotta you gotta definitely show gratitude for those things yeah. and not take it for granted like you said no that's that's right and you, you i mean I, we had a we had this lady join us about two months ago she she was absolutely fantastic she was a naturopath by training she left to practice and she just loved sleep and she was absolutely fantastic with patients one of the best people we've employed in terms of how she developed so quickly and then she just announced um, last week that she's got this incredible offer in nat- naturopathy and she has to leave. And I was so annoyed because I spent a lot of time with her training and etc. Yes. But the reality is that, and, and again, our first reaction is, oh, how could you? And you said you were going to work and blah, yeah. blah. And that'll come across even if you don't say it in different yeah. ways. Yeah, and I suppose <laughs> she, she knows that too. Yeah. She knows you'll be disappointed. But, but, but I was in touch with the fact that while she was there, she gave a hundred percent. If and if I really care about her, her as a person, there's no question she got a really good offer. And she was kind of devastated about the whole situation. Yeah. And uh, she was very teary when I when I said that to her. I thanked her and I wished her the best. And she now wants to work for us a day a week. Okay. And so yeah. yeah. Well, that's a good outcome. In it the is end. really. Yeah. It's good. Rather it's good. than but the initial, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rather than chucking your toys out of the pram and having a yeah. having a fit about yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, just being able to tune into not just how it affects me, but you know who yeah. that person is. Again, yeah. yeah. I think that's that's really important. And how do you certainly instill the, this ethos into your say the dentists who are working for you? I assume you you do that. I assume that's a very important part of what how yeah. you mentor them. Would yeah. you describe mm-hmm. yourself as a mentor to them? Yeah, I, I think probably more initially, but mm. now they've sort yeah. of picked up and ran with it. But we we have dentist meetings where we would go out for a meal and would have an agenda and we'll talk about specific cases, and all of them have done programs in dental sleep medicine yes. we kind of share so we I might send emails of studies that have come out uh, but it's, again it's just it's just communication mm-hmm. and 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 growing and and I think that's that's just re- really important yeah. do you bring any of the personal development stuff in in terms of your mentorship the dentists mm. who work with you or is that something you sort of leave, 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 I leave used to, to them? I used to 
Yeah. And I find that with personal development, you have to want to do it from within. You yeah. Know, you can't. Mm. I, I used to pay for staff to do a, a various courses like yeah. this. And sometimes the time has to be right as well. Time has to be yeah. right, yes. Yeah. So we'd, we'd, we'd sort of pay half for... There's a course called Landmark Education. Yeah. It's a, and that's a really beneficial course. But you have to be there wanting and be open enough to start looking in your own life. And not everyone's in that place. No. And people feel pushed. In, in they, and we've yeah. had that happen with staff feel, oh, well, I better do this because he wants me to. So I, I don't... The personal development side, I, the dentists that we employ are... They're really... They're, they're caring people and they and they absolutely have that same philosophy of, of caring for patients yeah. and without the agendas. And that's just happened as part of their personality maybe and knowing that when you walk into a certain culture as well... Um, yeah, I think that's, you, that's you, true. You either grow with it or it's not the right yeah, place you, for you. you know pretty quickly if it's yeah. not right or, yeah. or else you stay and you grow with mm. it. Yeah, I think that that's fair. And... What about generational differences in terms mm. of how people communicate? There's a lot said. I think there's a lot of generalizations made around, no, around yeah, this. I really agree with that, yeah. And personally, I don't think there's any sort of hard and fast rules and there's a lot of complaining about millennials and <laughs> Gen Ys and I think a lot of it is... Mm, I, don't, I don't buy into a lot of it. No, it's, it's, it's too easy, I think. it's yeah. yeah. Everyone wants the same thing they want of job satisfaction I want to be treated with respect and 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 that that's all that counts it yeah that, that's how I look at it and I, I think so too because you know I've, I've done courses in practice management that where they'll categorize patients in personality yeah. types and all that uh, yeah and then you're meant to react to them a certain way depending on whether they're I can barely remember driver or whatever I, I, I never really bought into that thing it just stops you being present with and listening to another human being I, I think I agree 100% as well. You, uh, you're sort of prejudging and, and yeah. you, you always end up with egg on your face when yeah. you prejudge something. It's probably a bit the same with, you know, the generational thing. To, uh, yeah, well. I agree. I've I'll certainly got to challenge that with both my kids, you know, they're trying to talk to them on their mobile phones <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that, yeah, that probably holds true, but I think in general as people, yeah, I agree. I think most people, all we all want the same things. <laughs> And what are you most proud of in your career? Certainly something that comes across, as I said, is your passion for educating mm-hmm. both your patients and what you achieve with your patients, but also educating other dentists. But what, what are you, uh, not knowing you beyond <laughs> that, what are, you, what are you most proud of? I haven't thought about that, but um, <laughs> it's nice to be able to sit back and think about something like that and not someone say things about you after you're dead, maybe. But uh, I think the fact that I've been led to what I enjoy doing yeah and and because that w- wasn't the first 20 years was just doing what I needed to do I, I, I'm, I'm really in awe of the young dentists that 29 30 who work for me that they've got to where I got to at a much younger age of okay. really tuning the, the, the three of them don't in, don't want to be doing general dentistry they've come to that conclusion already and it's been at a at a financial cost to them and so I really admire that but I feel happy with the fact that at some point I decided to just follow what I really wanted to do and I've got a lot of job satisfaction, I really enjoy the area and I think it's just really important to get to a point where uh, you like doing it. I mean, I, I, 
I want to keep in this area. I'm yeah. not thinking of retiring. It's nice not to have see, to see patients all day, every yeah. day. Yeah. But even if I did, that that's fine. But it's an area that I really, really enjoy. So you got to that point really by taking, stopping taking stock and, yeah. and working on taking stock, which I think is being honest with yourself. Yeah. I think there's a crux that hits a lot of dentists. I think probably at different times, and I've been through that through that myself and every dentist I've spoken to is, goes through that and sometimes you can't because of family commitments or other commit financial or sometimes you're just not open to that but I think it is very important to think of that possibility of, of looking at that personal development side as well which, yeah, is, which links in with communication of yeah because well. you know there are there are a lot of dentists that that could enjoy dentistry I, I mean uh, you're speaking to someone that maybe it wasn't a career path for, for me in terms of general dentistry but I see a lot, lot, lot of dentists go towards like a, a perfectionism type thing which sort of robs them of their enjoyment where nothing's yeah. kind of quite good enough my my ex-wife was a lot like that you know she wouldn't mind me saying that she, she'd do this great work but she never thought it was quite good enough yeah. and the patient would be better off going to a specialist and you know there's no satisfaction in that even if you're doing really good work mm -hmm. so and I think dentistry can lead to that perfection it can it can yeah and I think the type of person probably who does dentistry yeah. is probably prone to that perfectionism as well yeah and because you, you know you're working in a in an oral environment with saliva and all the rest yeah. and there is an element of compromise to everything and the human body as you say even with yeah. your, your treatments you can't pick when things will work and yeah, won't exactly. work and yeah you can't judge yourself by the outcomes as well yes yeah, that's true. And any books, blogs, <laughs> websites, podcasts that, that you would recommend that have been of influence to you in this area of communication or management or leadership? Yeah. Um, so in, in the personal development area, I, I found there's courses like Landmark Education, for example. It could be just going along to, we've got a, there's a, uh, a, a Buddhist kind of monastery next door and there's talks by the um, leader there which is yeah. interesting on the mind and the way the mind works there's lots of things you can read in their sort of eastern philosophy area an area which I've been looking at recently it's called School of Life I don't know if you heard of Alain de Botton yes. He's, yes. he's a philosopher yeah. and he's really great at interpreting philosophy in other words the big questions about existence into practical everyday things very accessible yeah. yes so he's got a great app it's called school of life okay and he's got lots of short videos and on all this, a lot of the subjects we're talking about in the personal development communication area on just what people's internal states are which they're not presenting to the outside world it's a lot of it's about that and that's where we get fooled yeah can I, recommend that highly. okay <laughs> and uh, i'll go back and recommend thinking fast and slow as well by daniel Kahneman. that's a great book that is yeah, a great that book. is yeah it's uh it's, it's a bit pretty more dense you've got to go yeah, through dense, it but yes. it's less accessible but it's, <laughs> it's eye-opening as well yeah, yeah. well i just want to thank you very much for giving up your time this morning. We're, yes. we're here at Dental Congress, so you're going to head off and have a look around, and I'm going to head off to Congress, but I really appreciate you giving up your time this morning. It was Thanks, a, Carl. It was a pleasure. Thank Great. you very much. Thank you. You can find further information about Dr. Harry Ball on his website, www.sleepwise.com.au. And the site also has information about training programs in dental sleep medicine. Having attended a weekend course 
I would have no hesitation in recommending any training program that Harry is involved in. He is a world-class educator and, as you have heard in this podcast, an excellent communicator as well. I would like to express my gratitude to Harry for giving up his time as he was very busy at Congress, having run an all-day seminar the day before. Lastly, if you enjoyed this and would like to hear more, please subscribe and spread the message to your podcast-loving friends. Leaving a rating and review really helps spread the word too, so I'd be grateful if you took a minute or two to do that as well. Thanks for listening. I look forward to you joining me for the next episode of the Communicating Health Podcast.